Well, good evening. Welcome to our study of Revelation. I'm glad that you've joined us. See, I am alive. It's good to see you tonight. And uh, we are here. I'm, I'm recording from our home tonight because we are quarantined. And uh, we are coming to the end of our quarantine, though. And we all are feeling great. Wanted you to know that. We really missed being there Sunday with you. And uh, it was a wonderful worship service, though. I appreciate Jim Witt on such a short notice filling in for me, and uh, it was a wonderful worship service, but we did miss being with you, and we will be back again this coming Sunday. As I said, we are nearing the end of our quarantine, but I'm glad that I could come to you tonight uh, studying Revel book of Revelation chapter 15 uh, by video recording this, and uh, those of you live that are there in person in the worship center, welcome to you. Those of you joining us online, welcome to you as well. Glad that you've joined us. Fascinating study as we've gone through Revelation. Now we've reached chapter 15, which is a short chapter. It's only eight verses tonight. And in a sense, it's kind of an introduction to the end of Revelation and the rest of the book. And so we'll look at that tonight. Glad that you've joined us. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word together as your people, those who have joined us uh, all over, th those in person in the worship center, those who have joined us across the United States, even foreign countries, the book of Revelation. So Father, thank you for them tonight, and I pray that as we study your word, the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, and you'll show us exactly what you want us to know. And thank you once again that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is the victor. And Father, what a privilege it is to study tonight and the, in the weeks to come the victorious uh, reign of Jesus as Savior and Lord. So, Father, I pray that, that in that power of Christ tonight, you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, I'm glad that you've joined us. Get your Bible, and I've got my Bible here. And, and looking at chapter 15, I'm in the ESV, as I am every Wednesday night, looking at, um, at the final chapters of Revelation. Now, if you look at your outline, first of all, letter A on your outline, by way of summary, let's kind of summarize where we are to this point. We're, we're going through the Great Tribulation, seven years of tribulation, and now we're reaching the very end of it. Uh, hell's fury has been unleashed by the demonic, by the evil one unleashed upon the earth. Things that we've never experienced before, never will experience again, Hell's fury literally has been unleashed upon the earth. If you go back a couple of chapters a few weeks ago, chapter 12, you remember the woman was pregnant. John saw a vision of a pregnant woman giving birth. A dragon came and tried to destroy the, the, the child after it was born. Of course, it, it, it appears in, in uh, studying Revelation that the woman would be the country of Israel. We, we obviously know that it's, it's symbolic. It's not literal. It has to be symbolic. So therefore, you can look at what maybe the symbols mean. Uh, the woman being Israel, the child being Christ, and the dragon being the evil one trying to come along and destroy Israel and destroy the child. Uh, we saw that the evil one, the dragon, was not able to destroy the child, and so he turned all of his fury on the woman. And the woman fled out into the wilderness of Jordan, what some believe may be Petra. So that's chapter 12. Go to chapter 13 the following week. We saw two beasts, one standing on the sea and one standing on the land, rising up. Beasts that try to destroy 
uh, uh, Israel, since they couldn't get the child, since the child is victorious, turned all their fury, unleashing all of their fury on, on the woman, which was Israel. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Israel is going to catch the full brunt of the fury of the evil one. We've talked before in our study, when you look at the end times, notice those who side with Israel and notice those who are against Israel. Uh, you'll see that a lot. Politicians, nations, platforms, Notice those that, that support Israel and those that turn away from Israel and support Israel's enemies. So we saw that, that the beast rose up and formed kind of like an unholy trinity, tried to mock everything or mimic everything that God has for good. And so this kind of unholy trinity, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet mimicking the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit even in the roles that they, that they played. The false prophet, of course, trying to glorify the beast, which that's what the Holy Spirit does is glorify the Son. We see that from John. So a lot of unholy Trinity analogies throughout chapter 13. Then last Wednesday night, chapter 14, we saw the Lamb. The Lamb and the 144,000 standing on Mount Zion. And then at the end of chapter 14, we saw three angels coming by and, and the first angel flying by and, and proclaiming an eternal gospel, fear God and glorify God, uh, was the message of, of, of the angel flying back and forth across the earth. Some see technology, yeah, I don't know about that, but some see that as technology proclaiming the gospel to everyone. But an angel crisscrossing the globe, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And then we saw the, the, the second angel, uh, came along saying, Babylon has fallen, fallen is Babylon. And we kind of conjectured last week about, about what Babylon was, perhaps maybe even a physical location there in the Middle East near Baghdad where the old Babylon was that might be the headquarters of the Antichrist, Kuwait City, Dubai, possibly Istanbul, some of the cities that have been, that have been mentioned as the possibility of being Babylon, the new Babylon, the headquarters of the Antichrist. And the second angel saying, fallen, fallen is the headquarters of the Antichrist. And then the third angel that flies by at the end of chapter 14 last week saying, saying, put the sickle to the ground, to the wheat, because the harvest time is here. Harvest meaning God's judgment has come. And then it closed with kind of a description of Armageddon, of the final battle in chapter 14, where the battle would extend for almost 200 miles from the Valley of Jezreel would take it under the Dead Sea area and even beyond toward Egypt if you look at a map of Israel today. So that's where we ended last Wednesday. Let's pick up tonight with chapter 15. Now, a couple of thoughts before we get into the chapter tonight. And, and one of those is that chapter 15 is shorter, only eight verses tonight, primarily an introduction to, to the end, to the rest of Revelation. Revelation 16, 17, 18 all talk about God's judgment upon the earth. 19 is the return of Christ, and 20, 21, 22 talks about the, the, the glory of, of, of the kingdom when the destinies are fixed. And so 15 kind of is a bridge between the Antichrist and the tribulation ending in chapter 14 and the victorious kingdom of Christ starting after that from, from 19 on. So 
really 15 tonight is more of an introduction and really relates more to 16 through 22 than it does the previous chapters. So it's not really a continuation tonight of where we were. Second thought is you may say, well, we ended last week in chapter 14 with the Battle of Armageddon. I thought that was the final battle. Why do we have three more chapters of bowls being being unleashed and the fury of God being unleashed upon the evil one. I thought he's already defeated in 14. He was. But what's very common with uh, prophecy in the Old Testament, with apocalyptic literature, is very common to proclaim what happens and then the following chapters enlarge upon that, um, review that, and so... What you have many times is it, it declares something happening, and then the chapters that follow kind of talk more about it in detail and give more details. And that's what's happened here. Chapter 14, the beast has been defeated, battle of Armageddon is over, evil's been defeated, and now we have an introduction into looking at some details of the bold judgments of God that begin next uh, Wednesday night. Seven bold judgments, the final judgments God will bring upon the earth. And that's just kind of an extrapolation on the final battle. So it's just kind of telling us in more detail about the final battle. So I don't want you to get confused there. All right, let's look at letter B on your outline now. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the victors of triumph. There are two visions in chapter 15 that John sees. Verses 1 through 4, vision 1. Verses 5 through 8, vision 2. First vision, the vis the, 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 a vision of the victors, the martyrs coming out of the Great Tribulation. The 144,000 that are martyred for their faith by the Antichrist, probably Jewish believers. If you and I as believers go through the Tribulation, then it could be us uh, who come through the Tribulation as martyrs. If we're raptured before the tribulation, then it's the 144,000 of the Jews that are saved. But we're talking about the victors that come out of the tribulation. That's the first four verses, a vision of those. And then second of all, verses five through eight, a, a second vision of things to come from there, an introduction to the bold judgment. So let's, let's look at it tonight. Letter B on your outline, verses one through four, victors of triumph. Let's read together chapter 15, verse 1. John said, Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great, amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Notice some words now, verse 1. I saw another sign. It's, it's the Greek, uh, another there, and the Greek is another of the same kind. Uh, there's another kind of another, another of a different kind. This is a vision similar to what he's already been seeing. I saw another sign in heaven. Great, he said, and this sign was amazing. The word that's used in, in the Greek there is a word that literally means beyond human comprehension. Something so amazing is what he sees now, a sign in the heavens, so amazing that humans cannot comprehend it. I saw this sign, great and amazing, and there were seven angels standing there. Now, why angels? Well, 
They're coming from the presence of God. Angels are the ones that God uses, instruments of his destruction upon the earth, instruments of his judgment. Many times, even in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, angels would be the destruction, the destroying agents that God would send. And so angels were sent. Seven times in the book of Revelation, angels appear in groups. Nine times in Revelation, they appear as individuals. So angels are, are, are in this vision, John saw, with seven plagues, which are the last. So we know these are the last plagues that are going to come upon the earth as Armageddon is wrapping up. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. If you remember last Wednesday night, I talked about the wrath of God being, uh, there being two words, anger and wrath, that were used uh, of God. The most common word is orge, O-R-G-E, uh, for wrath in the New Testament. Every now and then, the word thymos is used. It's used 11 times in Revelation. 10 of those 11 times refer to God's wrath. But thymos is even more angry than wrath. Thymos is passionate anger, boiling anger, anger that so much you can't even already control yourself, red in the face anger, that kind of anger. And so John saw in heaven God's wrath, God's thymos. I'm not certain that we've ever seen that wrath of God. We've made, Maybe in, in our culture we've seen, seen some of the anger of God. We, we've never seen the thymos of God, the passionate anger that's poured out, that will be poured out upon the earth during the tribulation time. The wrath of God is finished, means it's complete, it's, it's, it's fulfilled. Go to verse two. And I saw, John said, what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, Let's stop there for a moment. Think about what he saw. He saw a sea of glass. So imagine water, this, just imagine wind is still a body of water. The wind is calm. It's just like glass there. And it's just so much, so, so peaceful, it's almost transparent because the word also means transparent in Greek. Now, go back a couple of weeks. If you remember, we talked about Jews fearing water. They saw water as chaos. They saw water as something not even God was in control of. And we talked about that. That's why Jesus had the miracles of him standing on the water, him calming the water, him walking on the water, because it showed that he is God and he has control even of what they thought was the most chaotic. Jonah getting on a boat and trying to get away from the presence of God because they felt like not even God controlled the oceans or the water because it was, it was, it was always in a turmoil. And so it represented chaos. And so now John sees a vision in heaven where the water's calm. It's under control. It's not chaotic. God is in control. And he sees a sea of, of calm, transparent water that is like glass that is all under control. God has everything under control. But it was mixed with fire. 
Judgment. So judgment's coming. God's got it in control. Judgment's still coming. Verse two, and also those who had conquered the beast, the word conquered there, you know the words, the word Nike, N-I-K-E, Nike conquered the beast and its image. You know the word image, it's icon, E-I-K-O-N. That's the brand of a camera. It means image in Greek. So those who had conquered or been victorious over the beast and the Antichrist and those who had to take the image and the mark and the number of its name, it says in verse two. You know the Greek word for number also. It's arithmetoi. We get our word arithmetic from the Greek word number. And the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Now, harps are mentioned uh, several times, three times in relation to heaven. The, the latest one we saw, Revelation 5, 8, where there were 24 elders that were holding harps. And now we have those in John's vision in chapter 15, standing beside this crystal sea of glass. It's still got some judgment in it. Holding the harps of God, which were used to bring praise and worship to him. And rather than the 24 elders, now it's those 144,000 coming out of the tribulation who had been martyred. They're holding the harps. And in a moment, we see that they're going to sing a song. So here's the image, or here, here's the vision. Saw the sign, seven angels holding with seven plagues. The wrath of God is about complete. He sees now this sea of glass mixed with fire. God's in control, but there's still judgment coming from God. And those people who were standing beside the sea, well, those 144,000 martyrs who had come out of the tribulation. Now, if you think about a martyr in the tribulation, you're going to think somebody who maybe you might be seen as a loser, right? Somebody who had to die, someone who had to give their life for the faith. But what's interesting here, they're not losers, they're victorious. Those people in the tribulation that, that do not take the mark of the beast, even if they're martyred and killed for not worshiping the image of the beast, they're not losers. <laughs> they're winners. They're victorious. They're Nike. They are conquerors because they get to stand beside the sea singing praises to the Lamb who's going to be victorious. Verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, let's talk about this song just a moment. What song did, did John hear them singing in this vision? Well, some people say it was two songs, the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. Other theologians say it's only one song. It was called by two different names, the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. But go back now, I've mentioned to you several times already that the end times are going to mirror, in a way, the exodus out of Egypt in the book of Exodus from God's people. Remember, they were in bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh, representative of evil, of the devil, of the dragon, He's, he is persecuting God's people. God makes a way of escape. 
And if you remember, after the Red Sea parted and the waters went back together, do you know, that was Exodus 14, do you know what happened in Exodus 15? God's people standing on the other side, looking back over the Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea, they sang. And Exodus 15 records, and Deuteronomy 32 does as well, what's called the Song of Moses. Singing victorious because the enemies of God have been defeated. Uh, singing victoriously because those who were responsible for being against God were destroyed and God's people were free. What's going to happen in the Battle of Armageddon? The same thing that happened in the Red Sea Exodus. Those that hold God's people down, idolaters like the Egyptians and like those in our culture at the end, in the end times, they're going to be destroyed. And God's people will be set free and headed toward the promised land. Very much the imagery of, of, um, of Exodus and the Exodus. Now, notice it says here in verse 3, they sing the song of Moses. The of in the syntax there is in the subjunctive. That means that Moses and the Lamb, they're responsible for the song, but they're not the subjects of it. So they're not praising Moses. They're praising God. And so it's the song of Moses that is being sung. But now the Lamb is brought into it. Song of Moses in Exodus, New Testament is the song of the Lamb as well. So you have in Moses and the Lamb... You have Old Testament and New Testament. You have, you have law and you have grace. Moses and the Lamb. You have law and you have love. And so you have both beautifully in the New Testament combined together. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The word song that's used is very interesting. In the Hebrew, it's the, uh, in the Greek, it's the word ode, O-D-E, like you've heard the word ode before as a song. But it's the Hebrew cantation of ode. So it was a reference back to the song of Moses in Exodus. So here's what the song said. Verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear you, O Lord? Glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The word nations, there's the word ethnos. We get the word ethnic or ethnicity from it. Every ethnic group is going to come because of God's righteous acts. Here's the song of Moses the Song of the Lamb in verses 3 and 4. It's interesting because what we see here is praise of God's works, God's ways, God's worthiness, and God's worship. Read that through again and you'll see God's works. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Praising Him for His ways, just and true are your ways. For His worthiness. Uh, and then for his worship. You see that at those four W's there as a picture of the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, 
Let's go to chapter uh, five, verses five through eight, and let her see on your outline the second vision that he sees in this chapter. Verse five. After this, John said, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Now, stop there for a moment. After these things literally means a, a new, it's a break. So it's kind of like he's two visions in chapter 15, one vision over here, one vision over here. And so verses one through four, he said, I saw this vision of angels and judgments and the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. And now he says, I turn and I see another completely different vision. Remember, I, I talked about during the introduction weeks ago, there are more than 60 different visions in this in this book of Revelation. We see two of them right here. The second vision, he said, in this, I looked and I saw the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven being opened. The heavenly temple being opened. Is that literal or is it figurative? We don't know. There could literally be a temple in heaven. Or it could be figurative because we don't need a temple because Jesus is there. So it, it could be either one. But he does talk about the heavenly temple several times and then millennial temple. So is it the temple that's going to be built in the millennial time? Is it the temple in heaven? What exactly? We don't really know. He just says he sees the heavenly temple being opened. And notice he says in the, in the ESV anyway, the tent of witness, the word witness, there's martyr, those who have died for their faith. So, the witness, what does he mean, the temple of witness? Well, there's a reference back to Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, also referenced in Hebrews 8, verse 9, to the, the, the tabernacle of testimony, or the tabernacle of, of, of witnesses, what it's called here in ESV, but the tabernacle of testimony, in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle. What was that? If you remember, the tabernacle of testimony or witness in the Old Testament housed the law. It, it housed the law of God. And so now John sees the heavenly temple open in the second vision, and he sees those judged who have disregarded the law. Those people who have taken the Bible itself, disregarded it, ignored it, set it aside, marginalized it, now they are going to be judged by it in the end times. Folks, we have, uh, we're living in that day where God's word has been ignored and marginalized and, and, and changed and uh, just not seen as authoritative at all. And in the end, everyone's going to be judged by it. That's the temple of the tabernacle of, 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 of testimony or the tabernacle of witness it's right here. That's what housed the word of God in the Old Testament. So it's a way that, of John saying, I saw everybody on earth now being judged by what they ignored. Imagine our culture disregarding Scripture and one day being judged by the very scripture that they, that they disregarded. So it's going to happen. 
And then he says, uh, verse 6, And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And so we see now seven angels coming from the presence of God. And that means it's not their own authority. It's not the angels who have the authority to bring this judgment upon the earth based on the word of God. It's God. So they're coming from God's presence. They have his authority coming from his presence. And each one of them is holding a plague. And we're going to see at the conclusion of this chapter what exactly in just a moment that they're holding. Now, notice their garments. The garments are white with a golden sash across it. White, of course, for holiness and, and righteousness. And gold in scripture many times was uh, a refining or a purifying. And so it's God's way of, of bringing a, a punitive mission now to the earth. He's going to purify the earth. There's all kind of lawlessness, all kind of people disregarding his word. And God in the end, at the end of the tribulation, will purify the earth as his last act of judgment. The gold, the purifying, the white, the holy and righteous. And so just the angels' garments that they're wearing, symbolic of what God's going to do. Verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, what were seven bowls? It said one of the four living creatures in heaven gave the seven angels seven golden bowls, and each one of the bowls had God's wrath full of it. Now, the Bible talks about several places, uh, the cup of God's wrath. Not necessarily a bowl, but a cup of God's wrath. That's mentioned several times in the Old Testament. God would bring judgment upon his people, and he did through the form of, of bondage, the uh, Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. And so God brought that upon, upon the earth. But what does he mean by a bowl? Well, when we think of a bowl, I'm holding a bowl right here, right? That's what we think of as a bowl. You eat cereal out of it, dessert out of it. It's a bowl. This is not what is mentioned by bowl. In fact, some of your translations say vials. Uh, they were holding seven vials. ESV says bowls, but it's not a bowl like you think. It's more like this. It's more like a saucer. Sometimes we set a bowl in, inside of a saucer, but, but the bowl in the New Testament was more like a saucer. It was broad. It was it was flat. Um, in the New Testament, or rather the Old Testament, uh, priests would use bowls or saucers in worship. First Kings chapter seven is fifty. Second uh, Kings twelve. Second Kings twenty five, and it would hold the fire of the incense as it was burned. So think of the bowls now, the seven bowl judgments that will be coming in the weeks to come. Think of them not as a bowl like this, but as a saucer. Now, what's the difference? Well, a saucer being a, a, a flatter, it was used for two purposes in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, 
uh, of the worship that they would have, the priests would use, for, for pouring, because it poured much more easily than a bowl would pour. If, it's, if a saucer is full, you just have to tip it just a little and it, and it pours. It was also used for drinking in the Old Testament. So imagine the saucer being full, meaning it wouldn't take much to, to just tip it where it would slightly and everything in the contents would pour out. And so that's the image, these seven angels holding these bowls full, full to the brim of God's wrath. And it not taking much to just tip over and all of God's wrath is poured upon the earth now in the final part of the tribulation. So the saucer is a much better image that we have rather than bowls. So in the next three weeks, as we're looking at chapters 16, 17, and 18, and we're looking at seven of these, of these bowls, think of the more as saucers and very easily tipped, very easily poured, where God's wrath would be poured upon all of humanity. Let's go to chapter eight, we'll close. No, rather verse eight, we'll close. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary unless the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Wow, what a picture. He sees, John sees in this last vision of chapter 15, the sanctuary in this tabernacle of God, the heavenly tabernacle, filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. So much smoke, so much doxa or glory of God that they could not even enter into the temple because of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. Have we seen this before? Yes. We saw it in Exodus chapter 40. You might remember. After God's people delivered from the Exodus again, there's the imagery. If you remember Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, that Moses could not enter the tabernacle because of the smoke of the glory of God. And here we see it again. Folks, God is faithful. He is faithful from the Old Testament, faithful through the New Testament. He, he is going to fulfill everything he said. He is going to be victorious. So if we know he is faithful in the Old Testament and he will be faithful in the New, right now you can know he is faithful to you. Well, that concludes chapter 15 and starting next Wednesday night, we will look at chapter 16, and starting in chapter 16, these seven bowls began to be poured out. The very first one is poured out next Wednesday night, chapter 16, and whenever it's poured out, everyone left on earth at the end of the tribulation will experience horrible boils upon their bodies, boils that are just so miserable. And rather than turning them to God, these boils are going to harden their heart toward God even more. Going back again to the Exodus motif, do you remember in Exodus, one of the plagues upon the Egyptians, boils, Exodus chapter 9, and after the boils, 
they hardened our heart toward Yahweh even more. We'll talk more about that next Wednesday night in chapter 16. God bless you. Good to see you tonight. And I'm so glad that, uh, that um, you've joined us and, and look forward to seeing you Sunday. And like I said, we're ending our, our quarantine, getting close, and we will see you on Sunday looking forward to our time of worship then. Let's pray together. We'll dismiss. Father, thank you once again for your love for us. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity to study your word together. And thank you that in the end, you are the one victorious. You were faithful in the past. You're faithful in the future. So God, during these days right now, help us to trust you with all of our heart, knowing that you're faithful, knowing that you're good. And God, we trust you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.